interest rates holding at 3.5% in the 10-year. Stocks little change this morning. And $1.7 on its way to get passed in Washington, D.C. Kind of a busy close to the year. Let's bring in Stephen Moore. Let's talk about what we learned and what to expect next year. The senior economist at Freedom Works back with us. Stephen, thanks for being here this morning. Uh, good morning. We've got a $1.7 trillion bill. Looks like it's coming down the pike. Do we never learn, or is this not going to be inflationary? What do you think? Well, first of all, it's it's a fiscal atrocity what's going on on Capitol Hill. You know, we, we need to be cutting at least a trillion dollars out of the budget, and this actually adds new spending on top of the $4.5 trillion that Biden has added in the last two years. So, I mean, anybody who is a fiscal conservative should be completely outraged by what's going on. And by the way, this is just filled with all sorts of pork barrel spending um, for all the congressional districts. It's uh, it's 4,100 pages. I guarantee you nobody even knows what's in this bill. This is no way to run a country. It's no way to, to pass a, a tri $2 trillion budget. So I think people should be really outraged. Um, this will make the inflation problem worse because we're not cutting spending, we're adding to it. So the deal that was made, just so people understand, is Republicans wanted to spend uh, $50 billion more for defense. Democrats want to spend hundreds of billions more for um, social programs. So they got together behind closed doors and they negotiated by spending more on both. <laughs> so it seems our default is just to spend more. Exactly. Uh, and it's it's been going on, as, as we've talked about, through a couple administrations now and COVID being to some degree, uh, I guess, to blame for this. But now that we're uh, past COVID, uh, what is your read on uh, why inflation has remained where it is? It seems one sh could argue that a lot of the supply chain uh, impasses have resolved to some extent, but we're still stuck at a 7% CPI. So uh, what's your thought on uh, how we're stuck here and whether or not it's going to change anytime soon, Stephen? Well, the Fed has sort of done their job by raising rates. Now Congress needs to do its job by sucking some of this money out of the economy. I mean, as I just said, we, we, we put $4 trillion additional of what I call helicopter money into the economy, just dropping $100 bills out of the windows of helicopters all over the America. And of course, that was going to cause inflation. Now, inflation, of course, as you know, has come down over the last two or three months from the 9% that we had. Uh, late last summer to now it's uh, running you know, closer to 7% year over year. Um, I do think we're gonna see lower rates of inflation in 2023, but I also th see, think you're gonna see much, much lower rates of growth. Remember the Fed is predicting less than 1% growth for 2023, which is a pathetically low growth rate. We can't solve virtually any of our national problems, whether it's the deficit or whether it's poverty, uh, anything, if you're only growing at less than 1% per year, we should be growing at 3%. Now, the employment situation uh, is what the Fed has uh, hanged its uh, commentary and its hat on, uh, essentially, when looking at the strength of the economy, saying, well, we've got you know, uh, 1.7 jobs for everybody who's looking for one. We've got plenty of room to apply some pressure. Uh, what do you think yeah, about so that approach? So you're right. You know, the one bright side in the economy right now is the jobs market. Although the number of jobs is certainly slowing down, there's still a lot of jobs out there. You know, there's somewhere between eight and 10 million unfilled jobs. So that if you're looking for a job, that's good news. For small businesses trying to find workers, it's not such good news. Uh, one of the reasons for this, by the way, is 
as we showed in a new study at the Committee to Unleash Prosperity that we just released a couple of days ago, in many states you can get up to $80,000 of government benefits without a, either parent working a single hour. So we're paying people not to work. We gotta get back to work requirements for welfare. We've gotta encourage people to get into the job market. Remember, we're still three million workers shy of where we were at the peak of the you know Trump boom in 2019 in terms of the number of people working. So we gotta, we gotta make work pay and we've gotta uh, get people off of uh, government assistance into jobs. That should be job number one for the new Congress. We're looking at a chart, uh, Stephen, uh, that shows that non-farm payroll is pretty steadily uh, increasing, uh, but a few of the other uh, surveys that you look at seem to have peaked out. Right. What's the difference? So this has become a big issue of dispute among economists and politicians about why it is that one survey shows over the last several months we've gained a million jobs and the other survey shows that we've gained virtually no jobs. That's a big difference. Uh, I happen to think that uh, the, the truth is somewhere between these two numbers. So I think, you know, uh, well, over time what happens is, you know, you do, they do two surveys, one of, of businesses and then they want, do one of households. And over time, usually what happens is that those to converge. So I think, you know, that that line would be right somewhere near the middle of those, but it's it's almost unprecedented that you'd have a such a huge gap between these two surveys. Now, one reason is that you know, the, the establishment survey only uh, you know, uh, measures jobs in the big businesses, the major employers. The other survey asks people, are you working? And I think what's going on here is that big businesses continue to have been continuing to hire, but small businesses are facing much, much more difficult times. But now, unfortunately, uh, even a lot of the big businesses, the, the Fortune 100 companies, are announcing either hiring freezes or layoffs for uh, 2023. So I, I do think the job market is clearly co cooling off. Okay. Now, uh, is that uh, relates to investing, Stephen? It's been a rough year for stocks, of course. It's been a rough year for bonds as well. What's your main takeaway from the past year as far as the impact of this uh, on the investing landscape? Should we expect anything to change if the Fed is just going to keep drilling further down if it feels comfortable about uh, applying more pressure? I think the question that investors need to be asking themselves is how much of the coming, look, we're gonna face, uh, the next six to nine months are gonna be really tough for the economy. I think almost all economists agree on that. Uh, whether we go into recession, I pray that we don't, but certainly we're gonna have very, very slow growth in the next year uh, as the Fed raises rates. And the real question then for, for people who are investors is how much of this slowdown in the economy and the slowdown in profits that we're going to see in the first half of 2023 is already priced into the market? And I think a lot of it is starting to get priced into the market, but I don't think it, it is uh, totally. So I'd, I'd be very careful about stocks. I always say this on your show, that if you're in for stocks for the long run, then of course you wanna remain in the stock market. If you've gotta pull your money out, if you need it, uh, then I'd be very careful uh, about you know putting new money into the stock market at this point. It seems like you'd argue that if you are putting new money in the stock market too, you should avoid the ESG stuff. Last chart that you brought us this morning. Uh, it's a pretty strong message. I mean, eight out of 10 of the biggest ESG funds did worse than the S&P this past year. Yeah, so the, over the last uh, year and a half or so, 
these ESG funds have radically underperformed other funds. Now, why is that? Well, think about what the highest performing stocks have been over the last 18 months. Let's see, Exxon, Chevron, ConocoPhillips, the energy companies, the very companies that ESG funds are running away from are the ones that have had the highest return. So I would, I think I would agree with you. I would say, uh, you know, maybe it's not a good idea if you want to make the highest return to put your money behind people who are making political decisions, not good investment decisions. All right. Message received. Stephen, good to catch up. Thanks a lot. Happy holidays. Thank you. You too. Yeah, good stuff. Good charts this morning. Stephen Moore, senior economist at Freedom Works.